0: Awesome. Well, let's get into the Word. Who's ready? The notes are in your app. You can follow along. Um, as Steve said, we are starting a brand new series today called Blessed. And I've just before I get into it, I just have to clarify something because it's necessary. I said to Darcy yesterday, I said, when you read the Beatitudes, do you say blessed or do you say blessed? And I, I just can't help but say Blessed. It's not even a word. It's not blessed. But just so you know, grammatically, I'm usually very strict. Um, When I get to them, don't be distracted. I thought I need to try and say blessed are those who, I'm going to say blessed, get over it, okay? Because I just just can't help but say that. But anyway, so here we go. Right at the start of Matthew chapter 5, we read that Jesus noticed that the crowds began to gather. And so he went up on a mountainside and he began to preach the most famous sermon ever preached. Now, Shemaine Gibson's probably the second best preacher the world has ever seen. Jesus, slightly above that. And I'm thankful that back in those days, they had sermon notes too. So we can go back and we can read the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I've preached a few sermons in my time, some very good, some barely tolerable by the grace of God. And if there's anything that I've learned from Jesus as a preacher is that it's not just what you say that's important, but it's how you say it. And sharing godly truth is where you take people on a journey in the hopes that they might love God more, that they might adjust their lives to be more God-honoring and that they might receive heavenly revelation from God himself. Now, when I prepare a sermon, as I know many other preachers do, I like to begin with a story or an illustration, something that clearly presents the foundation from which the rest is built upon. It's a concept or an idea that presents God's heart towards us. See, once we can agree on that starting premise, the rest of it will be a whole lot clearer to us. And the Beatitudes from verse 3 in Matthew chapter 5 is kind of this is how Jesus chooses to open his sermon. It has to be significant if it's the very first thing he shares in this famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, the 10 verses of the Beatitudes are a succinct and powerful display of God's love and grace towards us. Because before Jesus gets to preaching on giving to the needy, on prayer, on fasting, on judging others, on identifying false prophets, before he teaches about anything else, he first wants the gathered crowd to know this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So today we're going to focus in on Beatitude number one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Cue opening story. Now, we obviously have a newborn in our house. Oakley Windsor Frost. And she is absolutely beautiful. We love her. It's so good to finally have her in our house. The last few weeks have been awesome. She's uh, almost three weeks old. Dusty's at home with her at the moment. Uh, They haven't been too well, but they're doing okay. Please keep them in your prayers. The last few weeks have been awesome, but they've also been really hard. There was one night when I was up, I think like 11 p.m., 2 p.m., 4.30 p.m. with constant screaming in my ears. But as I held that sweet little girl, my organs feeling like they're failing from exhaustion, my spine stinging. I thought about how much somebody might give to have that moment who maybe hasn't had the opportunity to have that moment yet. And my heart filled with gratitude. This overwhelming sense of gratitude filled my heart. I'm exhausted, I'm delirious, I'm agitated. And at the same time, I feel at peace. I'm thankful and I'm full. You know, some of the Beatitudes are kind of like that. It's kind of like life can be really hard. It can be really challenging and people won't always understand and you might be treated harshly and things won't always make sense. And yet right in the middle of those moments, you could be counted as blessed. The eight beatitudes are declarations of different people that are blessed. Now, they're not conditions on how you become blessed or how you receive salvation, but simply that these groups of people are already blessed. So first and foremost, the beatitudes are a declaration of God's grace, his unmerited favor on our life. Now, it doesn't surprise me that the God of life and hope, the God that knows the beginning from the end, the God that already has the victory, would have the audacity to say to us that when we feel like we are at the absolute end of our rope, we could be considered blessed. God is like the kid that wakes up at camp way too early and he's pumped from the get-go. Like even when it's dark, he's hopeful and excited for what's ahead. When I think of being blessed, I'm like, God, that's... Not what I think of. I think of drinking from a coconut on some Polynesian beach. That's blessed to me. I think of when I'm going through the drive-thru and they say, would you like to upsize your meal? I just say yes, because I want extra chippies and I've got the money to pay for it. That's blessed. When I feel about being blessed, I feel like being in good health, being surrounded by people that are always encouraging, feeling like I'm in control of things. I, I feel like sometimes if I'm blessed, I should have it better than other people. But then Jesus comes out and says, no, 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 no. It's when you're at the end of your rope, when you feel like you can't go on, when you don't know how you'll get through, when you've given up trying to control things for yourself and you finally lay down your life, that's where you'll find it. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's when we let go of what's in our hands that we finally get the chance to take a hold of God's. And so the last few weeks, I've been very blessed. The Beatitudes are a real interesting passage of Scripture. You see them unpacking certain conditions of the heart, certain attitudes towards life, certain approaches that ultimately position us for something unique. With each group, we see a different element of the kingdom of God being unpacked, a different element of the kingdom of God drawing nearer to us. I mean, take the second one. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The first time I read that, I thought, that's ridiculous. Because being in a state of mourning is hurtful. It's painful. It's painful. It's difficult, and yet it positions you to be comforted by God. Without the mourning, you miss out on the comforting. And we might say, well, I'm happy to go without the comforting if it means I don't have to walk through the valley of mourning. I understand your thinking. It's just that Jesus sees it differently. Jesus says any condition of the heart that would draw you nearer to him, invite God into your life, is is a condition that allows you to connect with the God who made you. These are the promises of the Beatitudes, that they would be comforted, that they would inherit the whole earth, that they would be satisfied, they'd be shown mercy, they will see God, they will be called children of God. You know, this kingdom of heaven as unpacked in the Beatitudes gives us access to godly comfort, inheritance, satisfaction, mercy, vision, and identity. The NLT version puts it like this. God blesses those who are poor and realizes their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. How often do we treat those end of our rope moments like something we avoid at all costs? We build defense mechanisms. We learn to push down and subdue our feelings. We distract ourselves. We even lie to ourselves and we just tell ourselves we're fine. We're like, we're fine. We're fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But we're not fine. Jesus starts his entire sermon by appealing to people to understand that when you reach that moment, you're finally ready to let God in. You're finally ready to accept that you were never meant to do this life alone. The blessing is not being poor in spirit. The blessing is what that condition positions you for. It's in that place that the kingdom of heaven is yours. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the kingdom of heaven is a main theme throughout the whole book of Matthew. And it seems to be interchangeable with the phrase, the kingdom of God. And while other people talk about it throughout the book of Matthew, it's mainly Jesus that speaks about it. The kingdom of heaven is about God's reign and rule on heaven and on earth. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, what did he say? He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of heaven in your life is the will of God being outworked in your life. You know, we so desperately want God's will to be outworked in our life, but Jesus is clear that it is dedicated to people who are willing to realize their need for him. God's kingdom is a place of love. It's a place of peace. It's a place where God's will is outworked in your life. God's will in our life begins when we are ready to let go of and surrender our own. Now, Jesus wasn't one just to preach powerful sermons that were meant for other people, but he himself was willing to practice what he preached. After the Last Supper, where Jesus predicts his death, he finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gathers three of his closest disciples and he explains to them that his soul is feeling crushed to the point of death. He's in anguish. He is assumedly at the end of his rope. He doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know what to do, but he's dedicated to staying surrendered to God. He prays one of the most famous prayers ever prayed. Abba, Father, he cries out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, God, I'm in a real pit here. I want the suffering to go. I want to be relieved from the anguish. I'm poor in spirit. I want a way out, but I want to live a life that's not based on how I feel and what I want. I want to live live a life that's based on your heart's desire. I want to live a life that's your will to be done, not mine. He says, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it was from this place of realizing his need from God that the will of God was outworked in his life. He would ultimately be crucified, which was his purpose so that you and I wouldn't have to be. Now, you would never have ever said it otherwise when reading this account, but this is a moment where Jesus is so blessed. How is Jesus blessed? Because he's laying down his desires and he's picking up the fathers. This is the moment where he has never been more closely positioned to his God-given purpose. And yet it's not the sort of moment we would typically consider a blessed one. Although it's a terrible situation, the magnitude of it positions him for something unique. Now I'll never forget my dad's funeral in 2012. It was obviously hugely upsetting for me and my family to lose my dad unexpectedly to a heart attack back then. And my siblings and I, we all processed it all very different. I'm the only Christian in my family on any side, in any direction, as far as I know. Um, My family's very disconnected, and so... Making all the funeral arrangements was pretty tricky, but not too bad. I was put in charge of that, which was fine. But I'll never forget the day as we stood there on the day of his funeral in the courtyard outside the funeral home that we would have the ceremony in. I've got family members there that I haven't seen in ages. Family members that I wouldn't even recognize if we hadn't been in that context. My brothers and sisters are there and everyone's just sort of processing it differently. Now, there isn't too much to talk about in these moments especially when your family's disconnected. And what I found, which I think is probably fairly common, is that throwaway statements just get chucked out as people scramble to make conversation. There seems to be this agreed sense of togetherness that's clearly been lacking and this unspoken feeling of, it's sad that it's taken a death to bring us all together. It's sad that it's these huge moments of grief that kind of force us to come together and support each other through this moment. And people say things like, oh, we, we should catch up more often. And you know it's true. But you also know it probably won't happen. The realization that it's important for family to come together and be there for one another is a really obvious one. But when life is good and busy, we can forget the importance of that. You know, Sometimes it's these huge moments in life that strip away the layers and help you realize something you otherwise wouldn't have realized. Funerals bring, bring people together. And they might sometimes help us reflect on life and the precious, unpromised nature of it all. And I think when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, and the NLT adds on, and realize their need for him, it's because it's these sorts of moments when we feel like we're at the lowest of our lows that we're just more likely to realize it. Now, it's not necessary to be poor in spirit for you to realize it, but it's usually a little more obvious when it feels like life is slipping through your fingers and you're not sure where to go. It's in our desperation that a magnifying glass is placed over our inadequacies and our shortcomings. But the point Jesus is getting at is not being poor in spirit. The point he's getting at is what we might inherit when we find ourselves in that place, what it positions us for. And the one that realizes that they need God, that person would be counted as blessed. You know, we need God in our marriage. We need God in our parenting. We need God in that job interview, in that business presentation. We need God in that busy season of work, in that struggle with that mental health issue. We need God as we try to break free from toxic relationships. We all need God. And the realization of that is the open door to God's will being outworked in our life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They aren't blessed because they are poor in spirit, but those who are poor in spirit are blessed because. Why? Because they might finally realize that they can lay down their life and truly find it. This is perhaps a moment that we might finally realize our need for God. Being poor in spirit gives God the very unique opportunity to do a very special work in your life. It's not being poor in spirit that blesses you. It's what being poor in spirit positions you to inherit. Paul explained it this way in Romans. He says, "We can rejoice too." Sorry, Romans five verse three to four. We can rejoice too when we run into troubles and trials, for we know that they help us. What? <laughs> they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, when we face trials, it develops us to the point where we realize our need for God. So whether you need this message for today, or maybe you just need to pocket the encouragement from when you come down from the mountaintop and the the valley feels dark, I want you to lean into the next couple of moments. Realizing our need for God has two key components. The first one is this, believe that you need Him. I know we all the time we say, we need God. I know we say it, but do we actually truly believe it? In Luke chapter five, Jesus is leaving this particular town and he looks over and he sees a tax collector named Levi. And Levi is doing his thing at his tax collecting booth. And Jesus yells out to Levi and says, Levi, come follow me and be my disciple. In other words, he says, give up your way of life. Come and submit to me and I'm gonna show you how to live instead. I love this. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi holds this big banquet and Jesus is the guest of honor. Levi's there with all his other IRD tax collecting mates and they're having this big meal, this big feast and they're enjoying it. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they look over and they observe the feast that's taking place. Jesus, the disciples and all these tax collecting legends, they're over there and they criticize the party. These Pharisees, they say to one of Jesus' disciples, they say, Who, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Referring to the tax collectors, they're just doing their job, man. Jesus takes this as a teaching moment and he says, okay, Pharisees, listen to me. He says in Luke 5, 31 to 32, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those that think they are righteous, but those that know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus purposefully draws contrast here. There's the rich tax collector that has enough money to throw banquets, and yet he realizes that even though he has a lot of resource, if he doesn't know Jesus, he's got nothing. Jesus thought the same thing to his disciples, Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wanna be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Levi, the tax collector, understood this. And then you've got these religious leaders who thought they were all high and mighty, but they're unable to realize that their self-proclaimed righteousness is preventing them from seeing the doctor. It's holding them back from truly knowing God. The pride of these Pharisees was holding them back and blinding them from realizing their need for God. The kingdom of heaven is for those that realize their need for Him. Be like Levi, who realized whether you're high or low, Jesus keeps you centered. You know, for those in this room today that feel like you're at the end of your rope right now, I know you need a way out. I know you need a hand up healing, breakthrough, provision. But first and foremost, you need Jesus. For those that are poor in spirit, you have never, ever been better positioned to see the kingdom of heaven in your life. God is for you and not against you. It does get better. You will overcome. You are a conqueror. And I believe with all of my heart that God has your greatest days ahead of you. Blessed is the one who is poor in spirit and realizes the need for God for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This is God's promise to anyone that would call out to God from that ground zero moment. This is what David said in Psalm 40, verse one to three. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. The kingdom of heaven was Levi's, not because he was rich, not because he threw a banquet, but simply because he humbled himself before God. He submitted to him, he invited Jesus into his world and he committed himself to the journey. I need to remind you this morning that God's grace is enough for you. He sees you when you feel like you're in that pit of despair. When we feel 90%, God's the 10% that we need. When we feel 50%, He's the other 50% that we need. When we feel 1%, lowest of the low, He extends His hand, He lifts you up, and He puts your feet on solid ground again. He is the 99% that you need. Inheriting the kingdom of heaven in your life, to have God's will done in your life, it starts with believing that you need Him. And once you believe it, the second thing is this, you need to start living like it. Number two, live like you need Him. I love when Jesus calls out to Levi, the tax collector. Levi didn't respond saying, thanks for the invite. How about you come by my booth every day and just teach me some things about God? I've got a lunch break about 12. I could probably fit you in there. No, no, no. It says that he got up, he left everything and followed him. Levi not only realized that he needed God, but he took action and began living like it. And if you want to have God's will outworked in your life, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you need to live a life of desperation towards God. You know, there's so much apathy and comfort in our society towards our pursuit of God. We say stupid things like coffee first, then Jesus. Mm. We convince ourselves that it's okay that I don't really read the Bible because, you know, like, God God understands. I'm busy and he knows my heart anyway. So like he'll understand. I don't know if he does. Uh, I think God's word is there for us so that we would know him. Come on, when's the last time we opened the Bible to read it? Not because it's the good Christian thing to do, but because we hunger and thirst to hear from God. Because I don't know how I'm gonna make the most of my day without it. Because without his guidance, I'm just running a tiki tour by myself and I'm doing it without a map. When we worship God at church on a Sunday, do we worship Him like we're thankful for coffee or like we're sinners saved by the grace of God? Do we worship God like we're absolutely desperate for His presence in our life? Oh yeah, but I'm feeling low today. I've had a hard season. I had a sleepless night with the kids and I'm journeying through something. I hear you. It's just that those who are poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so if you find yourself in that place, you've never had more of a reason to worship God. You've never had more of a reason to surrender to Him, to clear God's goodness over your struggle. You know, our little boy Boston, he's coming up on two. Uh, When he's hungry, which is always, that kid's like a seagull. He reminds me of the seagull from Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. He doesn't come to me and politely say, Daddy, may I have a mere morsel? I'd be ever so thankful. <laughs> He's like, knack, which is his word for snack. He's like, Nack, knack, knack, knack. Mine, 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 mine. I'm like, man, you think you're impoverished or something? The kid doesn't stop asking until I hear him. He doesn't stop knocking until the door of the fridge is open. <laughs> and when I finally bow down to the king and I, I get him some food and I take it to his high chair. He runs over with his little chubby legs and he puts his hands in the air. He says, dad, I wanna get up. I wanna get up, but I can't get up without you. I'm stuck down here. I wanna get up. Dad, I need you. He's living his life like he needs me because he does. And it's not that God is some weird twisted superpower that wants to see you grovel. That's not God at all. He's a father that wants to enter into your world. When you live like you actually need God, we live differently. Ben, you can join me. That'd be amazing. We live differently when we not just believe that we need God, but we live like it. We pray. Why? We're not just verbalizing our struggle. We pray because we believe that God hears us. He hears our cry and He answers us. We submit to the Word because it teaches us what is wrong in our lives and helps us to live according to His instruction. We worship because it elevates His goodness above our struggle. When we worship, it reminds us that we serve a God that can do the impossible. We tithe because we want to live obedient to God's instruction. We want to place ourselves in a position of trust in the Lord. I'd rather live in obedience to God's instruction than thinking I can make it better on my own. We confess our sin to one another in relationship because when we do that, we find healing. And we come to God on short accounts because without His grace, it just feels like pushing a car uphill. It's not just believing that we need God. It's living like it. And even as I I prepared this, I just felt very strongly at this moment as I was writing, God just say, there's some people here today and you felt like you're in that pit of despair for quite some time. I'm speaking specifically those that have been there for quite some time, not those that have recently found themselves there. You're feeling poor in spirit and it's sort of, you've taken up residence there. And I'm not saying the thing that put you there shouldn't have put you there. I'm not saying that what you went through wasn't hard, but I really felt, God, tell me to encourage you today that you've been there too long now. It's time to get up. It's time for you to realise that God is close to you, that it's hard, but take a step. Get up, you've been on the bench too long. I'm not saying you're just gonna get up and everything's gonna be fine again, but it's taking that first step that's right in front of you. Like you know you need His grace, you know His instruction can be trusted, but you're yet to take action. Stand up, take a step, and begin to live like you actually need Him. Jesus starts the greatest sermon ever preached by saying those that are poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It's His opening idea. It's His introductory illustration. If you don't get that, the rest won't make sense to you. If you don't first understand that when you feel like you're at the end of your rope, Jesus is right there to meet with you, you're not gonna believe all the other amazing promises that God has for you. This very idea is the platform that He builds His entire sermon upon. God loves you, He sees you, He's for you. He is there for you, but you need Him. You can't do it without Him. You were never designed to. I want to invite everyone just to stand to our feet. You know, one of the most significant ways that you can reach out to God when you feel like you're in a pit of despair is to worship Him in the middle of your pain. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just telling you it's significant. And so in a moment, we're going to sing, but I don't want you to just sing. I want you to worship. I want you to elevate God's goodness over your challenge. As you focus more on the goodness and the bigness and the magnitude and the sovereignty of God, you realize that He is so far more significant than the problem you face. I'm not undermining or diminishing your challenge. I'm just reminding you of the bigness of your God. The desperation of your worship reveals a lot about how much you have realized that you need God. Because when we realize that it's not in our strength, but in His, we worship Him like we need Him. When you realize that it's His undeserved grace that allows us to not be judged as guilty anymore, you worship Him like you need Him. And when you realize that after all your trying and striving and hard work, you're still sitting down in the pit of despair and you don't know how to get up or where to go, it's hard to believe that you're blessed. But maybe... This is exactly where you need to be, because this is the moment you realize, as I lay down my life, I might pick up the plan that He has for me. I'm just here to tell you that if you realize that, you'll be blessed. Come on, why don't we take a moment to sing, to cry out, to worship God, to elevate Jesus over our challenges this morning. I do want to invite everyone to close their eyes. I just feel we're going to pray for some people right now. If, you, if you're here this morning and you're like, that's me. I'm poor in spirit. I feel like I've hit rock bottom. I feel like I'm lowest of the low and I need God's presence and a touch on my life. I just want you to be so brave. I just want you to lift your hand nice and high. I'm not going to pull you to the front. I'm just going to pray for you from the front right here. I just want to pray that God's comfort would be over your life. You're like, that's me right now poor in spirit, I'm hearing that the kingdom of heaven is mine, but I want to know God's closeness. God, I pray for every hand lifted, every life represented, every struggle, every challenge, and I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every chain would be broken. I pray, God, that the comfort of heaven would flood their life right now in this place as we stand in your presence. I thank you, Lord, that you didn't promise us that life would be easy, but that even in the challenge, you would be in the midst of it with us that we would take heart because you have overcome the world and we can find our hope and our refuge in you. So right now, Lord, I just pray, revelation and peace and hope, comfort in the name of Jesus over everyone that needs it. You can place your hand down. Just invite you to stay standing. You just keep your eyes closed. I wanna pray one final prayer before we finish up this morning. If there's anyone here in the room and you simply don't know Jesus, You found yourself in a church service. I'm not sure if it's your first time or you've been a bunch of times before. I'm not asking you if you're a church person. I'm asking you if you know Jesus. That is the most important question that would ever be asked of you. Here's the great news. God loves you. He's for you. He made you. He's on your side and He wants to have relationship with you. But the Bible says that the sin in our life, it cuts us off from a perfect God. It taints our relationship with Him. And sins sometimes are things that we choose to do on purpose and sometimes we just drift and we find ourselves completely separate from God. And I want to invite you to pray a powerful prayer in just a moment. I'm going to lead you in it. I'll pray it out loud. You pray it in your heart, but you mean this with everything you've got. And the Bible says that if you pray this prayer and you mean it, it's actually less about the prayer and more about your heart turning towards God, repentant, willing to turn the other way, willing to ask God for forgiveness and walk towards His plan for your life. If you're willing to do that and turn towards Jesus today, the Bible says that the old would go, the new would come, you'd be made a brand new creation. And I'm ready to celebrate because some people are gonna pray that prayer this morning. You pray this in your heart, say, Dear God, I acknowledge that I need you. I've sinned, I've turned my back on you. But in this moment, I believe that you've sent your son, Jesus, to a cross to take that punishment that my sin deserved so that I could walk free today. So Jesus, I ask you to forgive me, and I thank you that you do. I ask you to come into my life as my Lord, the one I can trust to lead me and guide me, and as my Saviour, the only one that could have paid that price on my behalf. And I declare from this moment, I am a child of God. I'm a son or a daughter of God. I turn and I walk towards you. Jesus, it's so good to be home. With eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I'm gonna get you to do something nice and brave in just a moment. I won't embarrass you, but I will ask you to put your hand up nice and high. I'll see it, acknowledge it. You can put it straight back down after that. We'd love to get you a Bible, help you out on this journey. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, I want you to lift your hand nice and high. Three, two, one, go now. Yeah, awesome. Hands on my right, on my left. Yeah, there's a bunch of hands. That's amazing. Anyone else, you prayed that prayer, you want to get your life right with Jesus today. I see you at the back sir. Amazing. Awesome. Church, I'm going to pray for these people. We're going to celebrate. God, I thank you for brand new life today. That in our pit of despair and our feeling of being low and our feeling of being disconnected, you enter into our world and you meet us in that place. And I thank you that your grace is enough for those people to meet them right where they're at. We celebrate brand new life for them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate all those that made that decision. Phenomenal.